Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I want you guys to think of the first time you had to share a room or a house with someone, and everyone's like, oh my gosh. Um, it could be the first time you had to share a room with your sibling, um, in a house share, vacation for a few weeks, or the first time you moved into, into your um, house with your spouse. Um, and I'm sure you can agree that this was not easy, so nod here if you agree. Okay, fine. some people are not nodding, so it might have been easy for some, that's fine. Um, but for many reasons, there are different interests, experiences, and exposures Diverse ways and experiences of doing things, and I think that's probably what causes the friction. It's strange, though there is a fondness and familiarity in theory, when you move something that they don't really like and they move it back again, that theory changes, you know? And it's really hard to continue unity, because I think unity is always good in theory, but often hard in practice. I remember a friend that had recently moved into a house that I shared with my siblings, and we would disagree on most things, like the kind of bananas I bought, um, the way I cooked food, <laughs> the ingredients I used, my flavour palette. <sighs> Cue deep sigh. <laughs> During that time, I understood how the cheese felt when I grated it. <laughs> I understood how the table feels when a comforter sands it down. It was so uncomfortable. And in my head, unnecessary and sometimes intrusive. Not here if you felt this. Yeah, fantastic. It was, um, I could give another example as well when I first became a Christian and righteousness moved in. Okay, that was even more uncomfortable. What a story. There was a lot of eye rolling, a lot of, mm, are you sure? A lot of buts, but a lot of fruit as well. And if you're here today and experiencing some sanding, some friction, some grating, do you smile and, ex- like, cue smile and excitement here? Like, yeah, it's fine. Okay, cool. Um, among believers that you're discipling, among leadership, among sisters and brothers in Christ, I still want you to lean in because I know it's messy, but there's, it's really fruitful as well. We may not be called to share a home, but we are called to share the same body, called to share in Christ's body. We're called to participate in his suffering and his subsequent glory. In a city like Corinth, which is the chapter that we're going to be looking at today, there were Greeks, Jews, converted Gentiles, newly converted Gentiles, and some Roman citizens as well. So you can imagine there was a lot of friction, a lot of grating, a lot of sanding. As they sought to navigate personal and cultural practices with the new life that they have in Christ, um, they, they asked Paul, what do we do? You know, when you get in an argument and you ask someone to be like an intermediary, this was Paul. So they said, Paul, what do we do about these things? And as we heard last week, there was disagreements over gifts and how we could use our gifts and a myriad of things as well that they had issues with. We're going to touch on that a little bit later. But they had questions like, what do we do? How should we act? Do we consider compromise? Should we consider marring our conscience to be at peace with these other people that came from different cultural backgrounds? Should we consider ghosting? You know, that's a word that we use in my, my age. Um, but that's basically a way of, like, deliberately and uncommute, like, not telling them um, that you're going to withdraw from them. You're ghosting them, okay? And I think... So- okay. <laughs> I think Paul had some things to say by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in First Corinthians 13. So he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith 
so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So let's pray. Father, Lord, I just pray um, that by your spirit, would you show us a better way of how to love one another and how to live loved by you as well, Father God. And I pray that this time together would be a time where you bring us back to where you are in any ways that we have been straying away, Lord God, doing things in our own strength and might. Would you bring us back into the fold, um, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Fantastic. So, as I said, the whole book of 1 Corinthians is literally a letter to the church at Corinth sorting out some issues that they had, okay? They had issues, for example, about sacrificing animals. So, back in the day, in those days, sacrificing animals was a thing. They did it very regularly, and the meat sacrifices were separated to the priest and to the markets to be sold. Um, but the believers didn't, couldn't tell the difference between the meats that were sacrificed to idols and the meats that were not sacrificed to idols. So they didn't know what to do. And some felt that there was no harm in eating this meat, and others felt that they would participate in idol worship when they did. So the intermediary, Paul, wrote to them in 1 Corinthians 8.13, and he said, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I would never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. They also had some issues concerning spiritual matters, and they would take it to the court or the law, well, yeah, the court to kind of settle disputes, and to that, Paul said, even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat to you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? There was also things happening back then, um, so they didn't have an aristocracy, and that was really vital to bring some order and control. So because of no order and control, people sought order and control in themselves, and they would have something, I want to call it tribalism, but um, they kind of followed certain leaders, yeah? And to that, Paul says in chapter 3, verse 4 to 5, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos, what is Paul, servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to teach? And again, in relation to this series, gifts, they had issues and how they used their gifts. They used it in a modest and improper way, um, not, reg- not regarding the whole body, but just themselves. And to that, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And I think we still have disagreements now. And if Paul were to write to England with some issues maybe a year or two ago, he might say something like this. To the church in England, I have heard there are many disagreements over face coverings and vaccines. Does it threaten your salvation? Does it cause others to sin? I urge you to consider the greater thing. Live in unity amongst yourselves. I'm not saying he wrote this, I'm just saying he might have written something like this, because the essence of all of Paul's letters were to cause believers to focus on eternal things, to look past the temporal and to set their hearts on Christ. And from reading the passages before and some of the things that I've laid out, you can draw out ways that Paul acts as an intermediary on how we should use our gifts by being both other-centered and eternally minded. So firstly, with the gifts that you have been given, be other-centered. 
this sounds logical. It makes sense. Like, of course, if I receive something, I'm going to give it away. Like, pass the parcel. You receive a parcel, you give it to the next person. However, I think there's a temptation to receive a gift and to use it to determine our identity. And it makes it hard to let go if we're, so, we're holding on to something because it, we're using it to determine who we are. It's like a child when they receive a sticker with their name on it and they don't want to let it go because they're like, oh my gosh, don't take it away from me. Not knowing that the sticker was for the sake of other people anyway, not primarily for their sake. We can abuse, we can use wrongly the gifts that God has given to us. We can believe that the gifts we have been given is a primary evidence of God's love for us, and it's not. And sometimes that leads us to do things mentioned in verse 1 to 3. It leads us to be boastful. It leads us to be immodest and use our gifts in an improper way. It can lead you to seeking the gifts as an end goal rather than a means to making, rather than rather means to the end of making disciples and glorifying God. I think we can use the presence of gifts and the lack of gifts to determine God's love for us. I think it's really good that Andy spent some time last week, you know, just really clarifying and saying, no, like God's gift um, is for everyone because his love is for everyone. But when we consider the presence of gifts, we need to be careful of thoughts like, because I spoke in tongues, God loves me. Because I prophesied, God loves me. Because I teach well, because I pastor well, God loves me. And even with possessions, because I have a nice car, a nice house, God loves me. We never explicitly say these things, but when we look at someone else's possessions or gifts we contempt, we can attribute God's love to them. And when we do so, we agree with a lie. I remember a time in my life when I went to a conference, um, there was a lot of people there, okay? Think about 45,000 Pentecostals, yeah? So a lot of noise. Um, And we were told to pray and think. um, And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, God, can you really hear me? It's so loud right now. I'm not sure you're going to meet with me. You're going to meet with the people that are speaking in tongues first. You're going to meet with people that have a better Christian life first because you love them, right? I wrote it down, and then four years later, in the same venue, the same conference, it was still loud. (laughs) But I believed something about God that I didn't know before, that his love is eternal and it's everlasting. It wasn't contingent on my gifts or my ability. And, And as the same way Jesus was heard because of his deep reverence, I believe so was I. And this principle of like, you know, because I have this, God loves me. Because I do this, God loves me. It works well when you can do those things. But when you can't do those things, um, it kind of questions God's love for you. For example, when you don't feel like you prophesied well, you're like, oh my gosh, God doesn't love me anymore. When you don't feel like you taught well, oh my gosh, God doesn't love me me anymore. We need a theology. We need an understanding about God that can hold up in every season. And I think it's this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And I pray for a deeper revelation of God's love, even right now in this room, for those that may not know it. So yeah, John 3.16, I memorized this when I was younger. I didn't know it was this deep. It's really deep. Um, But the primary and eternal evidence of God's love for us can be found at the cross, not in our gifts. And it's the cross that we must look to to determine God's love for us. Because when we operate in our gifts, when we use our gifts given to us, it doesn't demonstrate God's love for us, but it does demonstrate God's love for the person that you are using that gift for. So how should we use gifts? We should use these gifts as a means to reveal his love, not to determine his love for us. When we do this, we make sure that we give it well where other people-centered and not self-centered. We can give it well from the right place. And as pastor and author Rich Vallada says in his book, the deeply reformed life. 
For a disciple to leave the world is to enter back into it from another door, the door of God's love and acceptance, the door of God's way of being. This is why, in believing, I find myself arriving at home. So God isn't saying that we shouldn't use our gifts, but he is saying that we should use it from the right place of his love and of his acceptance. And if this resonates with you, there will be time at the end to spend some time in prayer. You can pray Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me to the way of everlasting. So as I said, with the gifts that we have been given, we can be other-centered. In this new place of God's love, we can then live out, verse 4 to 7, with the gifts that we have, focus on the eternal. Through love, we are called to be patient and kind. That's the first part of verse 4. When relating to other believers, because we have the same spirit, I think sometimes we forget that we have a history marked by sin, <laughs> or we're under the you know, power of sin sometimes. Um, it's like starting the gym on Monday morning and then being shocked that you haven't lost weight on Monday evening. You know, like these things take time, right? You've made a mental decision, but these things take, these, these things take time. We're all on a journey of being totally transformed, body, soul, and spirit. We're all on the journey of all being um, our, our whole being being under subjection to God. And as we relate to each other, we need to be patient and kind in this journey. An integrative therapist, my, a pastor and friend, Ify Alexis Lee, says this on the topic of patience with one another. And she says, The beliefs and behaviours you have today have been fortified over time. The beliefs and be- behaviours you desire to have likewise need to be fortified over time. Be intentional, but also be patient. So yeah, we can do that with the friends that we're discipling. We can be kind and extend grace as they grow into the image of God. So still in verse 4, we are called to be humble, not be arrogant or envious or boastful. And I think there's a difference between arrogance and confidence. And there's also a difference between humility and timidity. And it all boils down to the source. The fruit is always preceded by the seed. Um, and arrogant person source is ultimately themselves. They're puffing up themselves. I can do this because I can. And a confident person source is their creator. And Mary Cassian, author and the, of The Right Kind of Strong and Bible Teacher, says it like this. If you lack confidence, giving yourself a confidence pep talk is not an effective solution. What you actually need is to stop relying on yourself. God beckons you to turn to an infinitely greater, more powerful, and more trustworthy source. Humility is seeing yourself rightly in view of God and not seeing yourself less. Philippians 2 says it well, so I don't really need to. (laughs) In humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And we can do this, again, from the right place, considering God's love. We can lay down our interest for the interest of another. And there are different ways we can do this, and I'm sure some people are already doing this. But we can lay down our preferences, you know, like when, <laughs> sorry, I'm gonna, sorry, I'm just the one laughing. Um, like a friend that leaves the last piece of slice for someone, you know, that is hungry. And if that's not you, there's grace. Hallelujah, we can pray for you. Um, but that's a way to lay down your interests by thinking of someone else. Through humility, we are called to think of the needs of others, whether it be small or large. Um, than the needs of our own and that's why I love what we do at community group maybe it's just my community group but I think I think it's every community group someone serves the food for everyone first before themselves 
And as we do this enough times, everyone serves and everyone is also being served. And that's an example that I think God wants us to emulate in every part of our lives, that we consider other people before ourselves from the place of God's love. Through love, we are called to not insist in our own way, to be irritable or resentful. And I think this is a bit similar to not looking to the interest of other people. However, have you guys ever been in a prayer meeting? Maybe you are this person in the prayer meeting. Again, there is grace. Um, ever been in a prayer meeting and there's that one person that wants to pray the last prayer. I just, just have to have it in <laughs> at the end. And sometimes it's, it's a good thing and sometimes it's an attempt to resist authority or resist being um, last. Resist the urge to have the final say. Within these settings, or even with friendships, doing a disagreement, when you're going back and forth and back and forth, and you're like, do you know what? It is my human right to be right. I am going to get the last word in. When we do this, we're often seeking to prove something about who we are or prove something about who, we, who we're not. But in the place of God's love, we don't need to prove anything. Considering God's love and acceptance, do not insist on your own way. Be more concerned with looking like Christ than being known to be right. Your need to be justified is not a human right. Okay? Can we say okay? okay. Can we say let it go? <laughs> Guys, can we say let it go? <laughs> Hallelujah. Through love, we are called to rejoice in truth, not in wrongdoing. We also shouldn't rejoice in wrongdoing when the wrongdoing serves us. We can all agree that there is overt wrongdoing like war and discrimination. We can call it out and say red card, that's wrong. But what about wrongdoing that doesn't harm us but serves us? For example, an undeserved red card to the opposing team, you know, it benefits our team, but it's wrong. <laughs> and I think we, we can ask the Holy Spirit and, and work with him and say, you know what, Holy Spirit, reveal to me those areas that I'm rejoicing in truth, that I'm not rejoicing in truth. I'm only rejoicing in things that serve me. With the gifts you've been given, we can be eternally minded. Okay, with the gifts we've been given, we can be eternally minded, part two. Through love, we bear and believe all things. The New Living Translation says, love never gives up and never loses faith, never gives up on people, never loses faith in God, who he is and what he can do. I think we can have a deep sigh here. Because <laughs> this is hard. This is hard to do. With the lens of the media, with the lens and the conversations within our families, this is hard, but with time spent in truth, with eyes and hearts attentive to God, this is possible. If you don't think so, just recall to mind the first time you had a crush on someone or someone said something positive or negative about you. You spent time thinking about that a lot. You meditate or meditated on it, either positively or negatively, and it changed how you react, interacted with the world. With our hearts and, and minds set on truth, meditating on truth, we can begin to bear and believe all things. I think it's worth noting here that we're not tenacious and, you know, hopeful and enduring because, because we have a willingness to be hopeful and enduring. You know, a house isn't a house because it just has a blueprint, right? There are other things that come together to make a house a house. The blueprint is the will and the intent of the architect, but the construction worker, the materials, the soil, the interior designer, the budget keeper, everything comes together. It takes more than a blueprint. It takes more than just the willingness to be hopeful. We need to set our hope on someone. Our tenacity and hope is made possible because our faith is built on a person, the person of Jesus Christ, in whom the whole world is held together. 
Through love, we are hopeful and enduring in all circumstances, including circumstances and conversations that are hard and, and they're not easy. And I love what Tim Keller said. He's put it on Twitter, but I've just put it here as well. He says, it is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. The next time you question, can I truly go through this? Can I truly be patient and be kind and be loving and be affectionate? Can I do all these things that God has said we can do? It's worth asking another question. Who is my foundation built upon? And if it's built on Christ, then you can. With his power and his work in you, yes, you can. With his love and his spirit flowing through you, yes, you can. And we can ask ourselves questions like, am I really, is my life really on Christ or is it on myself? Am I doing these things in my own strength or am I relying on the Holy Spirit? Because in him, we can do all the things that he has called us to do. So with the gifts that we've been given, we can be eternally minded. And I think we can all agree that this is a high calling It's a better way for the believer, but it's not a strange way. I think everyone here, and if you're yet to, has experienced the love of Christ. And he has been, and is currently, and will forever be patient, right? He will forever be kind. He will forever be humble and not boastful, even though he has every right to be. Maji was perfect, you know? If anyone should boast, it's him, but he said no. He does not insist on his own way, but is in total submission to the will of the Father. He is not easily irritable or resentful. Neither does he rejoice in wrongdoing. He truly bears all things. He truly believes all things. And he truly endures all things. And he shows his love towards us in this way as well. That is a big one. Anyway, verses 8 to 13. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. And I just pray that even now, Lord God, that we would know you fully in the name of Jesus. Now, faith, hope, and love abide, but these three, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The gifts we have been given are temporary. They're merely shadows and reflections of what will be in eternity. We've been given all these things in part, and maternity will reveal in fullness. But there will always be a need for love. Because it's not just here that we're going to experience it. In heaven, we're going to experience that love as well. Because the love we're going to experience is a person that we can experience right now. God, in his love, he gave parts of himself to humanity to be displayed throughout through gifts in the interim of the fullness to come. It's like the in-between before the end. And he gave himself. And that's such an amazing thing. It would be a shame to spend all our time on the parts that he had gave rather than focus on the fullness to come. It would also be a shame if we didn't enjoy the body here on earth like God intended us to enjoy. It would be a shame if we just stayed outside on on the edge, not coming into the fullness that he has for us right now, even before eternity. We are called to a body of Christ, to which, yeah, we're called to a body which Christ is the head. We're called to live a more excellent way, 
not in our own strength, not in our own will, not in our own power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are called to use our gifts in service to one another. And in doing so, everyone is served. So I'm going to call Jamie to, to stand up. Um, because I think that there, there are some people here that perhaps don't believe God's love for you. Um, there was a song that I was listening to, and it, it says, how deep is your love? I think sometimes we have that question towards God. Like, can you really hold me this far for this long? Surely you're going to get tired of me. And he's like, no, my love for you is eternal. He's like, are you sure? He says, yes. Are you going to stop? He says, no. <laughs> right? His love for you is eternal. And if we have any question about the sovereignty, the ability, the strength of God, he's ready to answer those questions. But I want to allow you to do three things. If some, some things resonated with you, I want to allow you to spend some time to speak to God. Repent and receive the grace that he has made available. If anywhere that you have been striving in your own strength, seeking your identity through gifts and not his love, there's space for you to come back to the Father. And secondly, if you feel like you have been not aligned to where God wants you to be, if you have been noisy in isolation, but together there's time to... To make a symphony onto the God, I think onto God, your gifts sometimes are only noisy when it's not part of the body. <laughs> so come back into alignment. And lastly, Father God, we just want to see you as worthy, as sovereign, as set apart. And Father, in any way that our hearts have not seen you in this, would you reveal yourself to us the more? Would you be like a light in dark places, Father God? And would you shine bright in our lives this morning? Show us you, Father God, and would you lead us back in the way of everlasting. In Jesus' name.